Amen. If you're still standing, take your Bible and let's read God's Word. Stand in reverence to reading God's Word. I tried to catch you before you sat down. Hey, great songs. Oh, man, so great. By the way, it is okay to clap, right? You can clap um, in our church. Yeah, you can clap. You just can't golf clap, right? So if you're in clap, just like put it together, right? And then, hey, um, I want to read for you two verses of Scripture, and then we'll dismiss our children's ministry here. Um, hey, by the way, I'll just tell you, we, we really do need help um, with children's ministry, with kids club, with nine o'clock hour. We've got several. Um, maybe you haven't done or entered into this kind of ministry in some time. Uh, we really do need your help. We want to expand, um, especially our nine o'clock hour. We're trying to expand that. Uh, we realize that for those, especially that have kids, it's hard to have being like a home small group. So we really realize that we want to really um, put some more work into our nine o'clock hour. Um, by the way, if you don't come to our nine o'clock hour, the ladies have an excellent study they're doing right now. Uh, we also have a all uh, men and women class right now that we just started this morning discussing mental illness. Um, and so if you've ever wanted to, to, to have a biblical view of this. And the good news is we started today and did not get to one stitch of our notes that we prepared, right? So we had some preliminary discussion. So you didn't miss much. Um, so you can start next week. That'll actually take us about four to five weeks to just discuss that. Um, now, would you take your Bible in Second Corinthians? And Lord willing, this is the last message of Corinthians. We, we got a little bit off on our order because of my sickness. Um, actually, Pastor George, um, who we need to pray here in a minute for him. Um, he's not here this morning because he said he was having some AFib issues. So we want to pray for him um, uh, this morning. He preached verse 11 through 14. We've been, if you look at the outline, we've been preaching through different parts of chapter 12 and 13. And now we really, the only two verses we haven't touched is verse 5 and 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And the best for last right here. It says in my text, I'm using the Legacy Standard Bible in verse 5 and 6. Here's what it says. Paul says to the Corinthian church, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. But I hope that you will realize that we ourselves did not fail the test. Would you pray over this? As we just come to your word, we do want to remember our members. We've got um, some members that um, have COVID right now and are at home or sick. Um, The butlers, we've been praying for them. Um, Lord, we've been praying for this young lady, Ava, um, and just this transplant, but also uh, just pray for George this morning with the AFib that uh, this will get back in rhythm. Um, and we ask for your help today. This portion of scripture has a negative and a positive. The negative side is there's some that are not actually rightly so questioning the legitimacy and authenticity of their profession and faith. There's a negative side. And then there's a positive side. There's some who with a. Um, with really a. Um, unwarranted. Are so questioning. Their belief in Christ. That it, it really is. It's not proper. There's a negative and a positive aspect to this. And so we hope to capture it. Your authorial intent for the original recipients. The Corinthians understand how we can understand it. God help us. We need your help. I need your help. Let us speak your words. Have your hand on this. If someone's not in Jesus, bring them to you today. For those who are truly in Jesus, may they be able to have the confidence that the scriptures have promoted that God's people should have in the security of their salvation. Let us capture what is truly biblical in this. And God's people said, Amen. Okay, so this whole book, and Lord willing, this will be the last message we've preached through. We've, don't worry, we haven't skipped anything. We've, we've, we've already talked about verses 7 through 10. We might reference it again. We, we actually, I went ahead and talked about verse 3 through 4 last week. So if you have that outline, thus far, we've, as we've kind of closed out, this is part 4 of 4, that he's 
Uh, talking about authentic apostolic ministry, we call this authentic pastoral ministry. And if you look at that little outline, you can see the things that aren't in bold on that outline that you got. He talked about the signs of a true apostle. He talked about he spent himself for their souls. That's what a pastor, pastoral ministry does. That's what we do for each other. That's what you should expect from any spiritual leader. They servants had integrity. We should expect integrity out of leadership. We should expect integrity out of those of us that are disciples. There was a service for their good. There was a seriousness about their sanctification, their holiness. Paul didn't spare church discipline, neither should minister the gospel. Paul spoke gospel hope to them. In verse 3 through 4, when we looked at it last week, the, Paul basically lays out and says, you want proof that Christ speaks in me? Well, he is not weak towards you, but mighty in you. And he was telling them, he's mighty in you because you're a changed person. You're different. You're not the same Corinthian church. Eight when I was with you for 18 months and when I made that second visit. You're not the same Corinthian church that I wrote to 1 Corinthians and had to encourage you to discipline a guy who was sleeping with his stepmother. You're not the same people. He says in verse 4, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. And we who are also weak in him, yet we live with him because of the power of God towards you. Paul says, the power of Christ, in Christ's weakness, the power of God was experienced in the resurrection. And that the same weakness that you have, you have resurrection power running through your veins. So he gives them gospel hope. That's something we actually need to do is give each other hope. There's such thing as called biblical hope. I want to give people biblical hope. As a pastor, I want to talk to people about biblical hope. I want you to, if you're struggling with sin, as in our struggle with sin, if, uh, as we struggle with sin, we want to continually to have biblical hope to say, wait a minute, if Christ has died for your sins and put his righteousness on your account, the most natural thing is to say no to sin and yes to God. Right? That's, that's, a, that's biblical hope. Biblical hope says, oh, you're, we're going through a difficulty, a persecution. Is there a category in scriptures that talk about how to endure through persecution? That's biblical hope. But now we come to the very end here. This whole time... In the book of 2 Corinthians, I hope you've noticed, I hope we've noticed, that Paul is having to defend himself. He has to defend the authenticity of his apostolic ministry over and over against all these false apostles. He's having to defend himself. It seems ridiculous to me that he has to defend himself, but yet he has to defend the authenticity. And as we end this, end this series, notice the theme of the book is the gospel for the what? The weak. The gospel for the weak. In the whole book, he basically tries to get a point across the, the point of these false apostles claim legitimacy by power. They, saying, they, they say that their strength is what gives them legitimacy, that they don't go through persecutions, is that they, is that they have monetary wealth, um, that, these, that they can prove their righteousness by their own works. And, and Paul says, no, let me actually give you the authenticity of my ministry, its weakness. Look how I've suffered, and then look how much I'm depending now on Christ. Let me show you the gospel for the weak. And then he makes that place of saying, listen, the, the weakness that we have, we are strong in Christ. The death, burial, resurrection has put something extraordinary. You have resurrection power running through your life. So this whole time, he's been having to defend himself, defend himself, defend himself. Now, in verse 5, something totally different in the rest of the book is happening. Now he turns the table. They've been examining him. He's been defending his examination of himself in light of what they've said. Right? He's been defending himself as an apostle. Now the tables are turned and he says, now let me examine you. Notice in the text, he says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. He now turns the table. Now, when you say the phrase turn the table, there... I think we understand what that means. Now, some when they hear turn the table, they think, oh, I get it. You take the table and you just flip it up, right? Well, you've just watched too many violent movies, right? That's not what turn the table means. Turn the table means you are in an advantaged situation and someone is at a disadvantaged situation and the more than likely the disadvantaged person turns the table so they have the advantaged position. Let me illustrate it this way with... Probably God's greatest gift to man outside of the gospel and the scriptures and his son and the Holy Spirit and the church, Monopoly. Anybody love Monopoly? Come on, come on. 
anybody just hate it? I mean, there are some people that hate my, it's, and there's no middle ground. You either love it or hate it, right? It's like either you're in Jesus or not in Jesus. That's how it is. That's how Monopoly, you know, the sheep from the goat gets separated with this game. Okay, now Brandon, I think Brandon, Brandon, you're going to help me. Brandon, come to this other side. I have a picture. Um, you know, put this up there, right? Can y'all see this picture? Okay. These are two different sides. The side that Brandon is on right here, that's the top. And how much does Brandon have to his account? Now, this is my side. I've got all the money, but look what I also have, all the properties. But not only that, I have more than houses. What have I put on all these properties? Hotels. That's pretty expensive, right? Any of y'all play, it, we're basically at a point here where I'm at the advantage, he's at the disadvantage. Well, can we all agree with this? Have you ever played, by the way, Monopoly with somebody when they get to this point, they are just absolutely obnoxious? And if you land on their property, it's almost like they glory in like, you owe me, right? That's kind of where we're at with Brandon here, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the advantage position. He's the disadvantaged position. Now, Paul is turning the tables. He's been defending himself this whole time. He's been supporting the legitimacy of his apostolic ministry, not from positions of power, but positions of weakness, But now he turns the table and says, I need to ask you some questions. Test yourself. Examine yourself. He turns the table. But here's the odd part of turning the table. Although Paul is the advantaged position, the table gets turned. And it's not them turning the table. It's him. But it's kind of like this. I'm the advantaged situation. And I'm now turning the table. That's what it means. I've now put... Brandon in an advantage situation. Now, it may be odd, like, how in the world does that text even show that idea? Well, that's why we have the rest of the message. We're going to show you. Paul turns the table, but when he turns the table, he's actually not trying to put them at a disadvantage situation. He's actually trying to show them how much of an advantage situation they're actually in. All right, everybody give Brandon a hand here, right? Not one of those golf claps, good claps. Thank you, Brandon. Now you might be wondering, how is this even, I, I don't understand this, Nick. Well, let's look at our text, and hopefully this will make sense. It makes sense in my head. A lot of things that make sense in my head, but I don't know if it's going to make sense in yours. In verse 5 and 6, we should test and examine the legitimacy of our profession of faith in Christ. We should It behooves us to do such things. Now, there's two avenues of it. Sometimes there is an examination of our faith in Christ because we there is actual legitimate reason to doubt. Is my profession of faith in Christ legitimate? Do I see sound biblical evidence that I belong to Christ? Do I see from my desires and affections and lifestyle and my my following his commandments? Do I see that? If I don't see that, maybe I should start to question. The legitimacy of my profession of faith in Christ. That's a negative connotation to it. Then there's also a positive. Where maybe you have been questioning the authenticity of your faith in Christ. And yet, the evidence abounds. You've been a Christian for decades. You love the Lord. You're continually confessing sin. You're trusting in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ alone. But yet... You have this panic, this biblically unwarranted panic, thinking, what if, what if, what if, what if? When the Bible is actually spoken enough, where John said in 1 John five thirteen, these things have I written that you may know. There is a, a portion of, we should have a confidence that we're saved. Not a false confidence, but a positive confidence in our salvation. Both elements are contained in this, but really... The bigger preeminent idea is really the positive side. That's what I say. Paul turns the table on them, but when he turns the table, he's really turning the table back to an advantage situation for them. And actually, it's not that they have an advantage over him. It's that he wants them to see there's much more Christ in you than what you may realize. And the fact that that there's there's Christ is in me means he must be in you. And here's the reason. 
the whole time he's defending himself from this idea of the false apostles say Paul's not legitimate and real. And Paul basically is making the point of Corinthians. You are a different people. I was with you for 18 months. I wrote the first letter of 1 Corinthians. If you, do y'all remember when we studied through 1 Corinthians? If you read 1 Corinthians, what a messed up church, right? It, not, I'm be willing to say, I don't think any of you have ever been a part of a church that was messed up as a Corinthian church. Paul has a second visit. It goes really bad, so bad that he has to write them a scathing letter. It causes repentance. Now he's coming to 2 Corinthians and he's saying, I'm about to visit you. You've, we've already seen in the letter that he acknowledges in chapter 7, there's been a wide swath repent. So Paul's basically saying this. The legitimacy of your, of your salvation Examine, I want you to realize, I'm the one who planted you. I'm the one that's been ministering the gospel. These false apostles claim that, that the legitimacy of, of apostolic ministry and pastoral ministry comes through power and resources and self-righteousness. But Paul says, hey, you are a different people. And you're passing the test. I hope you realize that Jesus is in you. At the same time, I hope you realize I've passed the test. Because if I've passed the test of authentic pastor, of, of authentic Christianity, and I'm the one who planted you, who's ministered to you, who's done pastoral ministry to you, if, my, if I'm authentic in the faith, I think, I think you need to have some realization that you have authentic faith as well. Very interesting. He turns the tables on them. But actually, he turns the tables in such a way that he wants to see there is positive evidence. You have transformed lives. The gospel has changed you. Corinthian church, you're not the same that you were in the beginning. God has done a work. Are you perfect? No. But is there a conviction of sin? Is there a changing? Is there there a molding in the image of Christ? Yes, Corinthian church, you see it. But there's a positive and negative. Let's let's take a look at it in verse 5. He says in verse 5, Test yourselves. To see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Notice in the text. And by the way, this is point number eight. He wants to stir them up to examine the authenticity of their faith. In a negative way, I can see, I can see it in the text. But, but also in a positive way is really the authorial intent here. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself. That word test and examine are two different Greek words. But they both um, are, are synonyms that denote this idea that there has to be a serious examination of faith. Serious examination. I would encourage all of us to seriously examine our faith. I would encourage you to examine the legitimacy of your faith. And then, if you're a person who has been doubting your salvation, but there is good, solid, great evidence of the authenticity of your salvation, it's a great time to test and examine. He says this, test yourselves yourselves and see if you are in the faith so he wants them to test not only plural but test themselves the whole congregation should test themselves but even individually they must test themselves it's really good to examine the legitimacy of your faith to examine the authenticity of your faith by the way i will tell you this if we're not reading the bible not memorizing scripture not confessing sin you're going to feel like you're not a saved person when you might be a saved person I mean, really, that's what sin does for you. And by the way, I will tell you that the further apart we grow, you, a person grows from the body of Christ, they'll start to feel like they're even more lost. So he says, test, examine, take a look at. This is a good thing to do. He says, I want you to test your faith. Now, the word faith here, it's not denoting just the idea of I believe in God. It's denoting the idea of I believe in the death, burial, resurrection of Christ in my place for my sins. I'm condemned to eternal damnation, but Christ has delivered me by his work on the cross in his resurrection. That's what that word faith means. It's not just the I believe in God. It's I believe that God has provided redemption through his son, through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 tells us. That's the gospel. That's what he means by faith right here. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. So he says, I, I, I want you to look at yourselves. Do you believe? That Jesus died for your sin. When I say believe, I'm not talking just a, a flippant intellectual exercise. But are you resting everything you have in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus? Are you putting all your weight and trust in that? Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. See if you're in the faith. It's a good thing to examine to see if a person is in the faith. 
It's a good thing. So Paul wants them to take a look. He wants them to test themselves. Now, I will tell you this. In other portions of Scripture, you do see evidence of testing for the legitimacy of your faith. And you see more layered, layered things and questions to ask. Although, that doesn't seem to be immediately what he's doing in the text. It seems to be more of the doctrine of who Christ is. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. There would be, if you look at the whole scope of Scripture, there are some things that... From the negative side of, you do need to see, do these, are these even in your life? And if they're not in your life, man, let's revisit. Maybe you aren't in Christ. Maybe your profession of faith is not a solid profession of faith. I was saved at 16 years old. I believe at 16 years old is where I became a follower of Jesus. For me, I could know uh, there's a line in the sand, and you all know the story. I've told it to you a lot. But since that time, I believe I have seen a persevering in the faith. I believe that, although not perfect, still on the struggle bus, still sometimes it's three steps forward, one step back. I believe I still love the Lord today. I believe there's been decades of work that shows that there's been repentance and faith, not perfection. And I think at at this point in life, I should be able to say, based on what I see before me, if this continues... I should have a confidence that I belong to him. These things have I written that you may know. Now, that doesn't mean that Nick can do whatever he wants. If next year I walk away and start living like hell, then I think we can all denote that he was, I was living a Judas life. But at this point, with decades behind me and continual love for the Word of God and the message of the gospel and a continual desire and re- a continual repentance and a continual looking towards Christ, it would be a really good and wise and positive thing to say, I belong to Jesus, and I will be in heaven someday. That's not a bad thing. There's people that walk around and say, this is really a Catholic doctrine of saying, well, no one can truly know if they're going to heaven. I don't think that's a biblical way to, that, that's not a biblical way to live. You can say, I am a Christian, I am going to heaven. I am trusting in the faith once delivered to the saints, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I believe he has died for my sin. So he says, test yourselves. Test that faith. Examine yourself. Do you believe in that? Now, On a side note, in other texts of Scripture, you get the idea that there are other ways to test from more of the negative side, I would believe, the legitimacy of your faith. For instance, if you're a person that says, I belong to Jesus, a way to test the authenticity of your faith is, have you repented? When I say have you repented is, do you realize that your sins deserve the judgment and wrath of God? When I first was exposed to the gospel message, I thought... That I was saved because I was, yeah, I was a bad person, but I was, I was good enough to merit my way into heaven. And it wasn't until I realized there was actually nothing righteous about me that could earn my way into heaven. In fact, if God never gave me salvation and I just experienced the wrath of God, I would get exactly what I deserve. I was inexcusable and, and, and in cosmic rebellion against God. And so God brought me to repentance. And still in my life, I see repentance working itself out. Even after 16... There is still a confession of sin. There is still acknowledging of sin. There still, there still is this repentant faith that's continuing. Now I would say this. If we name Christ, this is from a negative side. If your name Christ is yours, but there's no repentance in your life. There's no calling your sin what it is. If there's a continual blame shifting for your sin. If when you made your profession of faith in Christ, if you did not... If you do not believe that you were spiritually bankrupt and had nothing to offer, or maybe as you've grown, you don't still think you have something more to offer than your spiritual bankruptcy, then I think you really should look at the negative side of this. And you should look at the side of, I need to examine myself. I need to examine myself. Am I in the faith? Have I repented? Is God change, is, is there been a change on the inside that's making its way to the outside? Do I realize that I am a sinner? Do I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior? Also, some ways to examine the legitimacy of our faith. I'm talking from more of a negative. That's not the exact thing he's doing in this text, but this is the overall ideas in Scripture. Is there, authentic, is there a desire for righteousness? The Beatitude says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Although there is no perfection in my life, but I can tell you since age 16 when the Lord brought me to himself, there has been still a hunger and a desire for holiness, 
for righteousness, to be like his son. Perfection, no. Struggles up and down, absolutely. But kind of like this. If a pig notices it's got dirt on it, what does a pig usually do? It loves it. It goes back to it. If a sheep notices it's dirty, it can't clean itself. It's the one animal that can't clean itself. What does it do? It runs to the shepherd. Do I still find myself running to the shepherd? Absolutely. If a person says, I'm in Christ, but there's not a desire for righteousness, there's not a desire to live for God, there's not a hunger and thirst for God from the very kind of negative aspect, should that person question the legitimacy of their salvation? 100% you should. And should there be some investigation? 100%. And let me encourage you to do this. Don't do that investigation in a silo. I'm going to say this again. Don't do that investigation in a silo. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody who knows the scripture. Don't talk to somebody who doesn't know the scripture. Talk to somebody who does know the scripture. You need someone to help you examine and look at this. You also see the idea in the scriptures that an authentic faith is evident by a holy life. A holy life. John 14 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Is there a, is there a holiness? Do we, do we obey the commandments of the Lord? Do we obey the Ten Commandments, which are the, the basis, the moral commandments? Do we want to live a holy life? Do we desire to live a holy and obedient life? Do we evidence that holy and obedient life by love for our neighbor? Do we evidence that life by sacrificing ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others? Another one is, is our is, is part of this love for God and love for others, is this, does this translate in our world? Even I could tell you that another kind of, this is just like, by the way, there's several, but these are just kind of some big ones. Another evidence of authentic faith is, are, are, are you pursuing the Great Commission? What, I'm, what I mean is this. If God has saved you, taken you from hell, given you his son, not only do you get heaven someday, you get God right now, and you would say, I don't care if anybody ever gets that. Then I would say, from the negative kind of side, you might not be saved. Now, telling people about the gospel does not make you safe. But there is something in you, when God is living in you, that there would be a desire to see people saved and conform to his image and be disciples of Jesus. There is a desire to disciple. There's a desire. Perfection, no. Because, man, the hardest thing you'll ever do in life is try to make a disciple, right? It's like something that I feel like we're flailing around most of the time of our life. But is there a desire? Do you get excited when you hear that people come to faith? Do you desire? Do you pray for that? Do you want that? Do you see? I mean, is there, or is it, I don't care about it at all. If a person doesn't care about it at all, then I would say, examine and test yourself. Now, I'm not, I don't want you to walk out of here and go, Nick, and think, well, Nick, hmm, I have not told anybody about the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus in the last year. I must be a pagan. <laughs> I don't want you to, like, just go that, like, DEFCON 5. But I would say, well, if that is true, it's a great time to test and examine yourself. Talk to somebody. Sit down. Don't do it in a silo. Make an examination is, do I have a heart for what God has a heart for? Now, in the text... I don't think he's going the negative route totally in this. That's not the authorial intent. I don't think he's going that negative route, but the totality of Scripture does bear this idea that we would want to go the negative route and take a kind of like, is this missing? I'm not, and if this is missing, I'm, I may not be saved. That's, but that's the authorial intent of the message. I don't, I don't think that's what he's doing totally in this. Although you can't subtract from it. Look at verse 5. He says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. And then at the end of it, he says, unless indeed you fail the test. Unless indeed you fail the test. So we can't take away that there is a negative side to what he's saying of maybe you have failed the test. Maybe you have failed it. But I want you to see in the text there's a positive side to this. A positive side. And this is where he's turning the tables. But he turned the tables of advantage back to them. Really interesting. When we say test yourself, examine yourself for legitimacy of your salvation, there's a negative side, but there's also a positive side. There's a positive side where we can say, wait a minute, look at what God has done. Look at, 
Look at Nick from 16 to Nick to 45. Am I 45? Is that right? Okay, I'm just trying to remember. Is that right, Cindy? Okay. Oh, come on. Don't y'all all forget how old you are sometimes, right? Always, right? And that's why, we, that's why if you forget how old you are, just round down, right? To the next whole number, right? No, that's, that's breaking the ninth commandment. You're probably not saved if you do it, right? So just got to get it right. Man, y'all even laugh at that one. Okay, never mind. I'm going to keep going. So there is a positive side to it. Do this. Hold your place here. And before I go positive, I see something in my notes that I did want to point out because I think it's sobering. And so I, I just want to get to the positive, but I do got to mention something negative. Hold your place. And would you at least just look at Matthew 7 with me for one moment? Before I get to the positive side, I just... I just noticed this in my notes. I'm, sometimes I don't, I'm not looking at my notes a lot when I'm up here. Before I go to the positive aspect, because when I go to the positive aspect, I'm really talking to Christians who are in, a, in an unhelpful, and I would, I would dare say unbiblical way, doubting your salvation in ways that you're not really supposed to. But before I even go there, I just want to take one last chance, one last lap around and just implore the negative side. Please examine the authenticity of your salvation before it's eternally too late. And here's one of the biggest dangers. I'm just the biggest danger. The longer you go to church and hear the message of the gospel and say no, say no, say no, say no, it will be harder for you to come to faith in the end if you're not. It just is. Because you will grow a callous heart to this message. So the danger is this. If you are hearing the gospel message week in, week out, and there's a lot of it around you, and you know it, and you're doing nothing about it, I am scared for you. Because you will buy into a delusion that you will not fully realize at some point until you get to glory. The early time to realize is early on. But if you go years and years and years of, okay, I know I'm not a Christian. I just, I'll put this off to another day. No, the text wants you to examine yourselves. See if you are in the faith. Unless you failed the test, there's a negative quantity. Here would be the, the scariest thing ever. Right here in Matthew 7. Now, the context is regarding those who are false prophets and false teachers. But it has an application to all those who are not in Christ. Verse chapter Matthew seven fifteen says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing and inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, but a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There is, there is evidence in a Christian life of, of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. There is fruit of those who are not in Christ. There is a life filled with immoral sin, a love of self, an exaltation of the things of the world. Now he says in verse 20, So then you will know them by their fruits. And now he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who what? Does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, in your name do we not prophesy, in your name cast out demons, in your name do miracles. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So in the text we see that there will be some who played the game, looked the part, talked the part, did lots of service, But in the end, the fruit didn't bear out. And actually, they practiced lawlessness. They loved their unrighteousness. They loved their immorality. They loved their rebellion. They loved themselves. They exalted exalted the folly of man. They exalted their anger. They exalted their anxiousness. They lived for themselves. They practiced a lawlessness. They disobeyed. They were consistent Ten Commandment breakers. And loved it. And those same people knew that they weren't in Christ. And the longer they persist in hearing the message, they get delusion till it's eternally too late. So before I leave the negative, I just want to say, please, 
If you've been going to church for years already, please be very afraid to continue to do that if you know there needs to be a good examination. God has given you this last message for 2 Corinthians to mark us line in the sand and go, I am not doing this anymore. I'm going to get this settled right now. I am not going to rest until I start having some conversations and I put a stake in the ground. Do I belong to him? And if this is you, you know it. You know it. You know that there has not been fruit in your life. It shows evidence that God has saved you. The fruit is rotten fruit, not good fruit. And you know it. And the longer you persist in ignoring that and not getting a a thorough examination, the more dangerous it is going to be for you, my friend. So today, please, although that's not what he's doing in the text, going after the completely negative side, go towards the negative side. You need it. Now I want to go to the positive side here. Notice in verse 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Now look what he says in verse 5. Or do you not recognize about yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? So notice he's not being negative in in this part. He's saying, I want you to see that Jesus is in you. This is not prosperity gospel kind of stuff. It is him being solid and saying, there's a legitimacy to the negative, but there's a legitimacy to the positive. Corinthian church, do you not see you're a different people than you used to be? That's why he says in verse 5, or do you not recognize about yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? He's asking them a question, which is denoting this idea that many walked around thinking they weren't really saved or walking around thinking, well, I'm not really sure if I can ever know if I'm saved. And he says, do you not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you? Oh, man. Isn't this a warm blanket to the soul? There are several people who are legitimate Christians, but have bought into this false idea that you can't know, that you know, that you know. And that's wrong. And these are the kind of Corinthians, these are the kind of people he's speaking to. These are the people that when Paul gets a chance to finally turn the tables, he's no longer defending his apostolic ministry. He, he has the upper hand. He turns it around and says, let me give you the upper hand. And it's not giving them the upper hand on him, really. It's let me give you the upper hand to see, look at all that you got. How can you doubt that you're about to win when you've got all the hotels? How can you doubt that, you, that, that it's not in your favor? How can you doubt that you don't have vast resources and wealth in Christ when you clearly have the upper hand? So he says, don't you recognize? Don't you recognize? Corinthian church, don't you recognize? Corinthian church... You no longer have to listen to these Judaizing false apostles who are telling you the only way to have justification, declared righteousness, is by your works to show how, is by your works to earn your salvation. He can say, Corinthians, reject that false Judaizing idea and come over here to faith in Christ that says, you are saved not because of your works, but by his works. And the works you're now doing is not to earn righteousness. It's in response to the righteousness that you have. So he's saying, Corinthians, you got the upper hand. The table's turned. Would you recognize it? Maybe you're here today and it's about time that you recognize it. If you don't recognize, if you are genuinely in the faith and you don't recognize it, you will not be able to say no to sin. You will not walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. You will, you will be stunted in your spiritual growth if you're walking around thinking you're not saved when you actually are. There is a positive part that you must have confidence. By the way, let me show this to you. I'm not making this up. By the way, if you are a person who is doubting your salvation and you really are, you, 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 the test examination looks, looks really legitimate, study 1 John. 1 John is a wonderful book that can help you have some confidence that you, that you are in Jesus. By the way, it also will show you the negative side if you're not in Jesus. But let me, can I just show you a little bit of 1 John? Look over at 1 John. 1 John. Let 
you know, when uh, pulling out, um, I actually was going to pull out like some, some, some poker cards to kind of prove my visual here today. But I, I thought some don't really understand like different poker hands. I barely understand it myself. I had to call someone last night. I was trying to pick some way that you would understand like a turning of the hand of a game. And so then I went to Monopoly because I thought everybody loves Monopoly. But as, as I was kind of getting out of the Monopoly game, I went back to think about my dad. So, you know, lost my dad this past year, but my dad loved Monopoly, right? And for some reason, dad always won Monopoly. I'm not saying he was cheating, but he always seemed to win. But here's what I noticed, though, uh, about my dad. It was so fun. When you play Monopoly with him, once he got to the point of the upper hand, he was one of those guys that got very obnoxious, right? Like, just started gloating and glorying and just was, you know, just enjoying the whole moment of it. And I know for those of you that hate Monopoly, you're just like, yeah, exactly, right? That's why I don't play this game. But I remember at least there's something redemptive in that moment as I was thinking about it, is that there was a, he knew the value of what he had in his hand and he knew he was going to win. There is this element. If you don't, if you, if you have examined yourself and the evidence seems is there, it's time to glory in the cross and walk in a bold confidence in the finished work of Christ. It is time that you not see yourself as some vulnerable person that can't say no to sin and yes to God. It's time that you don't sit to yourself and, and just moan in some kind of exorbitant silence and think that the depressive thoughts that you have that you have no power to actually look at things from God's perspective and have joyous thoughts in the midst of difficulty. It's, I mean, there is, this, there is this positive glory in the cross that you can do, that you can actually go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't have to actually be anxious about tomorrow because he's in control of tomorrow. And if he's given me his son, why am I doubtful that what he has for me isn't what's good for me? Even though I may disagree with what it is, I can just know that he's, everything he's doing is for my good to conform me to his image. What is that? That's that positive side of salvation that you, you, if you don't believe you're saved, you can't have those beliefs. So if you are saved and you're just like, man, why am, if I'm saved, why am I so depressed? Well, it might be because you don't realize what you have in Christ. I'm not saying Christians can't be depressed. I'm just saying we're missing it sometimes. He wants them to see the positive hand that's been dealt. The tables have been turned and it looks really good. Go to 1 John 2. I just want to read a couple of scriptures in 1 John. Can't do a lot of it. And then we'll wrap it up here. He says, look at 1 John 2, 3. Notice the positive and negative side here. Verse 3 of, of examining, testing yourself. He says in 1 John 2, 3. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Right? That's a positive. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. That's negative. But there's diagnostic testing examining. But whosoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought also himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. What is John telling you even right here? He's saying, hey, wait a minute. If you, if, if, if you say you know him, but you don't want to keep his, you don't want to obey his commandments, then you're a liar. Then, then the examination shows on the negative side, you're not in Christ. But wait a minute. What if you, but if you say you know him and you do keep his commandments, you are actively practicing like, Lord, I'm, I'm not. I don't, I don't want to commit murder of the heart and sinful anger. And I don't take pleasure or justify that or blame shift that it's okay for me to be sinfully angry towards somebody because they were already sinfully angry towards me. If you're not justifying rebellion, but trying to keep his commandments and glorying in him, there's an aspect of the positive aspect to go, wait a minute, I may be in him. Go to, go to 1 John chapter 5. He says, and by the way, I mean, first John talks about like love of the brother um, where like, for instance, let's go. How much time do I have here? That clock is not even right. Look at verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry. Go to chapter, go to chapter three, verse 14. Actually, go to chapter three, verse 13. I'll throw this one in there. 
Do not marvel, brothers. This is chapter 3, verse 13. 313. Do not marvel, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. The one who does not love abides in death. Here's another examination. So you may be going like, I don't know if I really belong to Jesus. Well, let me ask you this. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you find evidence of sacrifice, putting their needs before your own? Do you see it in your own home? Do you see it with your own spouse? Do you see it with your own kids? There might be something more than what you... But if you don't, then yeah, there's a negative side. He says in verse 15, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know that a murderer has no eternal life abiding in him. For instance, if you're a person who has sinful anger towards people, and you see nothing wrong, there's no repentance... And you continue to blame it on others and blame shift it and really just say your, your, anger, um, um, your anger towards them is, is really their fault, not your own. Then yeah, you should, from a negative part, examine the legitimacy of your salvation. But let's say you're a person who's repenting of that and constantly seeing the bigness of your own sin. And when something happens between you and someone else and you're first looking at the log in your own eye before you go after the speck in theirs, then man, what great evidence that you are in Christ. He says in verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You see sacrifice in your life? Now go over to chapter 5, verse 13. John says this at the end of the book of First John. These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may what? That you may what? That you may what? Know that you have eternal life. So there is a positive aspect to this examining your faith. And this was a positive aspect that I believe it seems like in our text. Go back over to 2 Corinthians. Sure, there is a negative side that you can't denote. You see that unless indeed you failed the test. But there's a positive side. Do you not recognize about yourselves that Christ Jesus is in you? There's for many of us here today. We need to start looking at the evidence that lies before you. And it might be time to stop doubting your faith if you're genuinely in the faith. And then you, because the fruit may be showing it. By the way, once again, this is a good reason to not make these decisions in silos, but to actually have brothers and sisters in Christ who love you. And you sit down and you have this conversation. Now look at verse 6 as we end this message and end this series. Lord willing. Verse 6. I mean, Jason, verse 6 could take me like three months, right? So there's, there's no telling... I mean, what could happen, right? Verse 6, we'll see. But I hope that you realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. Isn't that weird that he would say that? I hope you realize that we do not fail the test. Examine yourselves to see that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test. But I hope you see that we have not failed the test. What are some things we can pull from this? Well, one thing we can pull is that Paul absolutely has an idea that you can know that you know that you have Jesus as your Lord and King. But I hope you will realize that we ourselves did not fail the test. But there's also a positive aspect. The reason he turned the tables on them and showed them, gave them the upper hand, wasn't so they could have anything on him. It was so that they could realize that if Paul passed the test, if he was authentically in Christ, and Paul's ministry and if the start of their church and the growth of their church and where they are in their church now and how they've repented and changed and they're different and they're molding the image of Christ and Paul is the one who's directly responsible for all that's happened to them, he can now say, if, if I pass the test, then you must be passing the test as well. What is he trying to do? He's trying to build a confidence in their salvation. And he's trying to say, the legitimacy of my ministry is not based on what the false apostles say. It's not based on how great you are or how you earn your righteousness or how everything is glittery and gold and ministry and life. He says, actually, I've showed you nothing but weakness in in which has showed everything about the strength of Christ. There's a test that's been passed in my life. Corinthian, there's a test that's been passed in your life. And now it's time to put a stake in the ground. It's now time to declare your profession of faith in Christ. It's now time to reject the Judaizers who wants you to add things to salvation and put your stake in the ground in the true faith, the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for your sin. That's what he wants them to do as he ends this message. Now, as I close this, 
This is a hard message, I think, for if you're not in Christ. I cannot beg you and beg you. Would you test and examine the legitimacy, the negative side? And then if you're in Christ today, man, I wish you'd realize what the table looks like on your side. Paul has turned the table. It's, and, and if you're in Christ, it's time to start living in that victory. That is it. When I say living that victory, don't go running crazy into the prosperity gospel. What I'm saying is there's a lot more that you have than what you're giving acknowledgement to. There is a, I mean, like, for instance, the sacrifice it takes to love others. It's not easy to love others. Amen? But if you realize, when it gets difficult to love hard people to love, when it gets difficult to give forth that energy, when you in that moment can go, wait a minute, this is the most normal thing for me to do, though. Like, I'm in Christ. Why wouldn't I sacrifice myself for the glory of God and the good of others? This is the natural thing. I've passed the test. This is what I am. It does something for you. But if you don't think you're a Christian, and you're over here milling around in the quicksand of doubt, you won't be a person that sacrifices yourself for, any, for anybody. It definitely won't be a person who spends all of your life bringing glory to God. You won't, because you'll just be stuck in your, the quicksand of your doubt. Would you stand together and pray over this text with me? We're going to sing a song, His Mercy is More. Once again... David, masterful in his music selection. We talk about these messages and great song for us to go to the Lord with. We're going to sing, then, then have a time of eating our meal, then a time of edify. I sure, I sure look forward to hearing what God has done in your life and how we can build each other up. Um, I love our edify time because this is, this is selfishly time for me to get ministry from you. You know, I do ministry to you, but I, I need ministry back from you. Would you pray with me? We do need you so bad. There's someone here from the negative standpoint that they need to examine themselves if they're not in the faith. Today, could that, today be their day of salvation? Could, could they get baptized next week? Could, could they now live a different life as a result of salvation? And for those that are here who've been in the quicksand of doubt, today's the day to grab the rope and pull out and realize they are in Christ. Thank you that we can know that we know. Let us not put our head on our pillow tonight until that has been solved. God, would you do it? Let us now exalt you and enjoy you in this time. Bless the singing and the eating and the building up and communion of God's people. In Jesus' name, amen.